0: Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Selah Fellowship podcast of our Wednesday services. Please open your Bibles as we dive into our study this evening. Hey, so those of you, I've gotten around a little bit and met um, some folks. For those of you I've met, my name is Charlie Owens. I'm actually uh, a Navy chaplain. So um, the Navy chaplains serve in the military as pastors. Uh, We service the Navy, the Coast Guard, and the Marine Corps. I've spent almost all my uh, career in the Marine Corps. Uh, and had just finished um, a missions trip. I was just thinking about our similarities. I came up to the valley uh, in my mid twenties, and this is where God um, uh, sharpened me for ministry. Unfortunately, he did it on the job, so so it was uh, a little more brutal than a school setting. But but um, but this is where he surrounded me with people who would speak truth to me, uh, who would give me opportunities. The valley itself was. Uh, such a teacher to me. It was where I learned about four seasons and the rhythm of life and how to slow down and be with people. I'm so grateful uh, to all the people who, um, through the course of that almost 10 years, had the patience to see God raise up a knucklehead. And and then and then just when I thought I was doing great, uh, the Navy came calling. Our country had um, come under attack, and we'd gone to war, and they were looking for guys who um, had had some experience in trauma and dealing with that. And So they plucked me up, and they gave me a commission. And I thought I'd be there for a couple years. I've been there for 16 years. Um, And uh, my congregation is a bunch of Marines. And uh, they're pilots, and they drive tanks, and they're in the infantry, and they're doctors, and they do all kinds of uh, interesting things. So my mission trips um, are pretty exciting. And and I want to show you, if you'd indulge me, I brought a short video so you could see my congregation a little bit um for a couple reasons but mostly and 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 mike don't worry i'm not going to ask you to sponsor my kids that's not what we're doing here but i will ask i will ask that as you see their faces uh that if the lord moves you commit to pray for these guys because men and women who are doing incredible things for our country and desperately need prayer um but really the reason i'm showing you is not just because i'm proud of them but because i want to connect some dots For us tonight, because they've taught me a lot. I've learned a lot on my mission trips, just like you'll learn a lot in your mission trips, just like you'll learn a lot every time you step out um, to serve the Lord. But I'm going to connect those dots between the warriors that I get to spend my time with and you. Because there's a lot of lessons and parallels between physical war and spiritual war. Um, I'm a guy who likes um, short phrases, lots of pictures. Uh, I'm a tactile learner. And, um, and so I love the Bible, because it's always giving me pictures and lessons, and we'll have some good ones tonight. But before I do, I just want a little, uh, just a caveat. I want to say to you, because it's very important to me that I'm not saying to you, and when we see this, you'll see everything but our kinetic combat missions. They do very dangerous things, and we, um, you know, have to do things that we have to do to protect our nation and others. That's not on the video, okay? We'll make it church-friendly. We churched it up tonight, okay? But I want to tell you that there's no that I'm not sitting here saying there's glory in war itself. War is necessary, um, but war is destructive. It tears lives apart, uh, and unfortunately, um, it is necessary at times and unpreventable at times. Okay, and you'll enter into that same warfare. Okay, maybe not with guns. Hopefully, we don't do any of that. But as you minister to others, as you step out and bridge the gap between a world that is dying and a holy God and you offer grace and you see people's lives being torn apart and you see addiction, you see marriage torn apart and you see people oppressed by our enemy. It's every bit as real as the other battles we, as we face. and It's every bit as substantive. It's every bit as absolute. You are warriors. I'm going I'm to drive that point home to you and not in a metaphorical way. You know, I can go to a battle with these guys, and and I do, and we come back, and they're victorious, but their lives are being torn apart. That's more real to them than what they just went out and had to do professionally. And you're the ones, the church are the ones that step out. And I want to draw a distinction between those who go to church and those who go to battle. We're going to do that tonight. And, And the Bible does it. I mean, Jesus sets an example that's just simple and amazing. So we're going to do that. So we're not glorifying war, but I want to tell you there's a spirit of a warrior that God loves. Let me tell you a story just really quickly. I was new in the military, and I went to a ball game. And at that ball game, they did something that everyone in the military hates, by the way. Just know what's going on in their mind is, please don't do this, please don't do this. And they asked everyone who's been in the mil- who's in the military to stand up, okay? And so I didn't, and then people I was with was like, who's him? so I stood up. And then it was amazing. This entire stadium started to applaud. I mean, it was an ovation. And while they were doing it, I was thinking to myself, what are you applauding? You're not applauding me. I I haven't done anything. I've been in the military for five minutes. And then the more I'm in the military, I realize that these people have no idea what we do as far as who's standing up. They don't know if you drive a tank or fly a plane or or uh, put bullets down range, or sit behind a computer, or flip a burger, or they have no idea. They're not applauding what you do. Listen to this. This is amazing. What they're applauding is the concept of sacrificial love. The concept that someone would be willing to lay down their life for someone else moves people to response, it's powerful. And yet that is just a shadow of what you represent in the lives of other people, the sacrificial love of Christ that you would be willing to not pursue all of your interests, not pursue wealth, not pursue all the things that the world says you need to be doing is pecking at you. And you would say that in the midst of all of that, what I'm going to prioritize is sacrificial love. It's powerful. And so as we look at our study tonight and, and as you look at the hearts of these guys, just, just remember that even though they're, they're doing their mission, and it's kind of cool, I hope you enjoy it, the reality is that what God's called you to is a hundredfold more sexy than this. <laughs> God's called you to be warriors for the kingdom of God, an eternal kingdom. And someday we're going to see it, and we're going to say, Wow, was that what I was fighting for? It's going to be amazing. So what you'll see in the video, we'll just start in one second, is is We were gone for almost a year, and um, you'll see a little bit of us getting ready to go and stuff. And then what we did is we traveled out into Southeast Asia, and we meet with nations that uh, are building their militaries or um, need our help, and we train them, and then we'll go to Africa, and we did some stuff in Africa, and then we go to the Middle East, which is really, really, we do our mission, and we do that for a while, and then we come home. So, um, so you'll see this video is kind of, uh, it was made for them and their families kind of a composite of what we do, so please. Today, the 13th Mew makes history. Today, you make history. 30 years after our foundation was built, our legacy continues. Welcome to the Fighting 13. Get ready for a. really cool toys that we get to use. So. I'm sure your trips will be exactly like that. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. I asked Michael if that was appropriate for church. He said, I don't know, I just want to see it. I said, okay. Matthew, chapter 4, our lesson tonight, we're going to look at how God prepares us for battle. How God prepares us for battle. I'm not. I'm not talking to you as an expert tonight. That's not what I'm trying to do. I want to share with you lessons that I've learned on my missions trip. Okay, just look at it that way. Things that I learned on my missions trip. Just like you're going to come back and do come back uh, and share lessons that you learned. That's what I'm doing. I'm sharing lessons that I've learned. Okay, and the spiritual context of it. So Matthew chapter four. We're going to look at uh, ten verses here, real quick, and. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we open your word, we confess that we can't know you unless you reveal yourself to us. And so we yield to you tonight, Lord. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would take your word and apply it to our hearts in the way we need to hear it. We pray that you would remove the things that um, paralyze us from hearing and applying your word. Remove the distractions. Remove any of... um, the confusion, Lord, and help us to hear from you. I pray that my family would leave this place with a confidence of their calling. And Lord, we pray that um, as we sit here in these pews, as we open this, our word, as we open our hearts, that you would see it as an act of worship because that's how we mean it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 is really what we're going to look at. Before we do, I just want to give a little context of what's happening here. Jesus has had a private life that we know very little about. And in Matthew, as he's revealing Jesus to the Jewish people, really what this letter is about, he's talking about how, um, how he is their Messiah, and he's, he's going to draw that out. But in this particular passage... We start to see Jesus' public life. This is very important. This is a pivotal time in the life of Christ. It's where he makes his entrance. It's where we start to see what he's about. We start to see um, the, the, um, his motives. We start to see his procedures, how he goes about it. And it's all done as a model for us. Realize that most of the things that Jesus did, he didn't need to do for himself. He did it so we could read it thousands of years later and say, oh, that's how it's done. We miss it unless we look at it any other way. He's teaching us always. And so in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 to 17, if you just let your eyes scroll back to the last two verses of chapter 3, we see the context. It says this. And Jesus, who's being baptized at the time, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and landing upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine the validation that took place in that moment? I don't know you, but I love validation. (laughs) I love it. I crave it. Often often I seek it, right? And I shouldn't, but I do. I love a good word. There's so much power in it. In fact, I, I have resolved in my life to to look for opportunities to validate people. And it's amazing how it can change a life. So many people walk around without it. But I'll tell you the other thing that happens is for the church, for a vast majority of the church, they would look at this event and say, this is the pinnacle of spirituality. Being in the presence of God, feeling the Holy Spirit and feeling that validation. That's what Christian, the Christian walk is about. They would say, this is it. This is what we're aiming for. Peace in my life, right? I just want peace. I just want sanctuary. I just want to know that I'm loved as a child of God. And yet when we look at what Jesus does with this right after this, as it marks his beginning into his public life, we realize that when he comes up and he's validated, what happens is kind of shocking, you know, you would think if it were the church today, the next couple verses would say, and then they had a potluck, right? I mean, we all came together and then, and then John brought the honey locust casual, which nobody likes, right? But, but, you know, that's what we do as a church. But as we look at it, that's not what happened at all. Let's start our verses here. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What's the first thing that the Holy Spirit, who just descended on him, as God the Father validated him, what was the first thing that he did? It says that he led him up into the wilderness. Really, what we're going to find out is what he's doing is he's preparing him for war. Immediately. Immediately, he prepares him for war. He comes up, he's validated, and it tells us in that language that immediately, right away, the Holy Spirit then says, we got to go. He doesn't stick around. There's no potluck. There's no fellowship. It's like we got to go. And that's a lesson to us that that validation and that 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 baptism and the um, and the, the feeling of security and 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 all of those things that we get from being in the pre- that I got tonight. Just listening to the words. I needed it so bad. I needed it so bad. And God fills us up. But it doesn't end there. It starts there. This is where we get filled up. I know you know this, but there's some amazing lessons that come after. So he prepares him for war. Okay? It's it's a lesson to us that it doesn't stop there. What is our heart immediately? And you guys know this. You've had these experiences. And there are most people say, Man, I really enjoy the church. I love the church. I love the church that I'm from. I like the pastor. He's very charismatic. The worship's good. And people are, you know, we have good fellowship and they're content. But then there's some animals like you who say, no, that's not enough. I don't want to stay here. I want more. I want to serve God. I want to see what God has for me. And for us, I'm telling you right now with a sense of urgency. And I say it because I know you know it. But so often we're shocked by that which we already know. It's war. That's where the battles begin, and we have to be prepared. And so Jesus goes out, and, it, and the Holy Spirit leads him, and it's, it's going to be an example for us. He leads him into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, I'll say the wilderness or the desert. We look at the wilderness, and it's the wilderness out here. But where we train, we train in the desert. Okay? So for my units, there's a place called 29 Palms. It's out by Joshua National Park, and that's where we go. And it simulates where we actually fight most of our battles. So we have to go out to the wilderness. So the, but the wilderness... Represents testing in the Bible. It represents severe testing. Temptation is that opportunity to be broken and to grow. And so immediately he takes him to this place of testing. Why is the wilderness, why is the desert used for testing? For two reasons. One, it's austere. That means that there's not a lot of comforts there. It means the environment itself is very harsh. The environment itself is a testing ground. Okay. The world itself is a testing ground. All you have to do is live in it and it becomes a testing ground. All you have to do is have relationships with anybody. It becomes a testing ground, right? And the other thing about the wilderness is there's predators there, okay? When you go into that, he's going to allow you to be in an environment where there's people there who maybe don't have your best interests. There's things out there that aren't designed to help you. I've seen rattlesnakes in the desert that were so big that I rolled up my window, and I was in a Humvee. Right? I'm not kidding. There's stuff out there. And there's a lot of people who will go into this wilderness and this place of testing. And they're like, I didn't know there was predators out here, man. This place is rough. I want to go home. But it's that very process that God uses. Two things happen in the wilderness. If You're taking notes tonight. Two things happen in the wilderness. And I'm sure you can relate to them. But to know that this is a systematic thing that God does, empowers us to be successful and to realize it's not us, it's not judgment. The first thing that happens is it's where God hardens you and creates perseverance and discipline and even dependence. It's impossible to create perseverance and endurance and a a sold-out dependence on Him unless you're being tested. It's where it happens. It's a blessing to be taken out into the wilderness. It doesn't feel like a blessing. Michael and I have spent a few days just reminiscing about our many blessings. Times when we just wept together and said, no good could come for this. <laughs> I said, Man, I do not like these people. It's Michael, we're in the church, man. We gotta, we gotta like these people. God has called us to. You know, it's not always, this is where he tests us. This is where we grow perseverance, and discipline, and dependence. And the, the other thing that it does, and, and this is a good one, is that this is where we assess what we call in the military our material readiness. Our material readiness is our pack list. So when we get ready to go out to 29 Palms, when we get ready to go out to the desert, what they do is they give you a little piece of paper and it says, this is what you bring. I remember the first time it happened to me and I got it. And I was, I was in, the, in, in my Marine Corps unit And I had spent almost 10 years up here, and I got this dumb pack list. And I said, I can do better than this. At that time, I was mid-30s. I'm not a child. I'll do my own pack list. I'm going to tell you something about the, the wilderness. The wilderness exposes two things. It exposes what you do not pack. God has given us a pack list for our battle. Okay? You need to assess that pack list. What is it that God has told you you need to have to go into spiritual battle? I got creative the first time I remember. I'm telling you, the things that you forget become abundantly clear almost immediately in the desert, okay? And I remember thinking, well, we're in a big group. I don't need this water thing that, you know, that purifies water. I mean, there's people here. I'm sure we're going to have water, right? No, we did not have water, right? It became immediate to us. To me, I was like... I, I had to recover from that. You may be going into a wilderness experience, and, and you might say, you know, I haven't, I haven't entered into a place of worship in a while. I don't really feel the assurance of the Holy Spirit. My devotional life isn't what it was, but I'm just, I got a lot to do, man. I got a lot on my schedule. And, and I, I just leave it off my pack list. I'm going to leave my devotional life off my pack list. Because I'm surrounded by a lot of people, I'm sure I won't. When you get into the wilderness, what you forget becomes clear. We, we have, uh, one of our big things we do is comms, radios. And when you get a radio, you have to make sure that the battery works, it's charged. It's kind of like your cell phone that keeps running out. You have to make sure that it's encrypted, that you know the right codes, you know the frequencies. It's a lot of work. My assistant, so I have a, I don't carry a weapon, and I have a security detail. And I remember my assistant he gaffed that off when we went to the desert one time. He said, oh, when I get out there, I'll figure that out. And, which is a good idea, unless you get separated from other people. You might be like that in your life and say, you know, my prayer life has been suffering. I've kind of been going through the motions But, you know, I pray with other people. And the context of my prayer is, I've got friends and we pray together all the time. But when was the last time I got together and really checked my comms and made sure that I had an assurance when 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 I met with my Savior, that He was speaking to me, that I was speaking to Him. When you are tested, when you get out to the desert, you realize what you're not packing. Here's the other thing that it does that's just as important. You realize what you overpack. Okay? There's a reason there's a pack list. We have a... Anyone backpackers out here, you know, right? Ounces become pounds, pounds become pain. We we would take we would take humvees and trucks out to the desert, and and I I like things, okay? I don't mind sleeping in a tent, but I'm older, man. There's some stuff I like, and I love REI, so I, I will go and say, okay, I like the pack list. I've learned how to do that, but there's a couple things I want to I want to throw in there. It's great when you're on a Humvee, you just throw your pack on there. But the thing about being in the infantry is they just leave those behind, and then you walk, okay? And we'll walk up to 25 miles, all right, with a full load. And you realize, man, there's some things that I thought that I needed that I really wish I didn't have right now, okay? <laughs> and we do that, too. When we go into spiritual battle and we go, man, there's some stuff. I just, you know, I just need it, right? It's, it's, my, it's my security, you know, whether it's, it doesn't, whatever it is. Some petty philosophy that I have. It's the word of God, but I also like this speaker a lot, or I like this. Maybe it's, it's um, something you're holding on to, some vice you're holding on to, or something that you've, that yes, I, I, I want to serve the Lord, but I also really need this. And people don't know about it, but I'm going to stuff it in my pack, right? That's what's exposed in the wilderness. Those things become a burden. Those things prevent you from moving forward. And it's not until you're out there that you start assessing that. And that's why the Lord leads us into times of trial and testing. Does that make sense? Because it's only there that I realize, man, (laughs) I don't need this in my pack anymore. It's not as important as I thought it was. I think I'm just going to stick with the pack list, right? And so we dump it. And he knows we need to dump it because it is in the desert. It's in the wilderness. It's in that time of testing that God assures us that in the actual battle we'll survive. If we don't make it in the desert, we're dead if we actually ever go out into warfare. And he knows that. And he knows this. God only creates spiritual war- warriors for one reason, to go to war. If you're in training, if if you've committed your life in any way to serve him, to grow, to prepare yourself, he will honor that commitment and you are going to war. You're going to be a part of spiritual battles. Here in the Flathead Valley, back at home, around the world, God's going to use you as much as you prepare yourself. God will use you because he needs warriors. But if we, if we, if we carry that baggage with us, it's going to slow us down. We had an interesting um, time. It was about two years ago. My wife and I have known each other for 10 years. Actually, we grew up together. And then the Lord brought us together about 10 years ago. And we've been married for five, a little over five years. But she didn't see any of that testing that I went through in ministry and really a lot of the testing I went through in the military. So we had this funny thing happen uh, about uh, two years ago. I was on Camp Pendleton and we live off base and I happened to be in a place where I'm not allowed to take my cell phone. And, uh, and I finished that and I, and I turned my cell phone on when I got out of this meeting and it blew up. And just as it started blowing up and I saw my wife's name and 20 beside it. Guys, if you're married, that's a really bad sign. That's a bad <laughs> sign for a lot of different reasons. And as, I, as I'm looking at it, it goes out of focus, and I look up, and I can see in the distance a fire right where my neighborhood is, and it's a big fire. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I called my wife, and I said, I started to say, honey, I'm sorry I was in a meeting, and all I heard was, you have 30 minutes, and we have to leave. Mandatory evacuation. I can see the flames. I was like, okay, I'll be right home. So I drove home, went around the barriers. And as I get home, we have a, we have a Jeep uh, Liberty. So, um, and it is packed to the rafters. My wife has spent the last three hours stuffing everything that she owns into this thing, right? And, um, and I walked by and she says, do you have a couple minutes? And I said, I only need a couple minutes. So I walked in. And uh, I grabbed this binder that I needed that was kind of a military. It was all my paperwork in it. I packed a bag enough for like two days. It was quick. Uh, and then on the way out, I grabbed one thing off the wall. And um, I threw it into the car. She goes, what? I go, well, I think we need to take both cars because I think our house is going to burn down, right? And she says, where's your stuff? I go, oh, this is all I need. She said, what is wrong with you, man? The house is going to burn down. It was in that moment that she realized, I don't overpack. I don't. It, it's this process that God has. And I'm not saying stuff is bad. I'm just telling you, man. I, it's, he did it. It's not me. But through the process at 51 years old, I don't overpack anymore. I know what I need, and God's going to provide the rest. And you know, I said, honey, this is why we pay for home insurance. By the way, that was not assuring to her. She found no comfort in that at all. Thank God our house didn't burn down, but um, our marriage changed, that's for sure. But she saw what was being lived out there, right? Now, maybe we need to assess that pack list a little bit and say, now, what do I really need? And I'm not judging you or I'm not making that decision for you because we're all different. You know, I have guys in the military that are my admin guys. And and they don't they don't hike anywhere, man. They just bring all the stuff, right? It's just their job. You know, there's people who do that. Different. I'm not judging you with that. I'm just saying it's something you really need to assess. And maybe it's emotional, maybe it's uh, mental, maybe it's philosophical, uh, maybe it's stuff I don't know. But assess that pack list. And it goes on to say this. And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. When I, when I read this the first time, something dawned on me that's going to freak you out. You ready? I read this and I said to myself, wasn't he already in the wilderness? If you look at the beginning of chapter 3, he just got baptized by John the Baptist. And do you remember what it says? John was the one that they said would come, preaching, repent, prepare your hearts, the kingdom of God is near, out into the wilderness. So he was out in the wilderness at the Jordan River, and it says Jerusalem, Judea, and um, Samaria, all of the surrounding regions went out to him. And it dawned on me. For those who aren't called to be spiritual warriors, for those who aren't going any further, that baptism process, that initial commitment, what they had to do to get there, that was the wilderness. (laughs) but if you're called to serve him, you're just starting, right? For them, it was the wilderness. But for Jesus, what he's telling us is, oh no, that's just where we start. There's a whole nother wilderness. There's a whole nother wilderness. And and I believe that the more that you accept the challenge to serve God, the deeper you go. I'm going to tell you, I, I thought I was done. I've been in the wilderness. I I rejoice in the fact that that part of my life was over. Do you know why? Because I'm an idiot. And I don't read my Bible as much as I should. Because if I had read this, I would have realized he's not even close to done yet. Every time I say, Lord, I want more. And now I'm addicted to a life of faith. He says, I want to give you more. Let's go. Because there's things you need to learn in order to be prepared in order to do that. The day that I get tired of going into the testing, into the hardship, into the training, into the wilderness, is the day that I say, Lord, I don't want to be used anymore. I just want to stagnate. So he takes Jesus from the wilderness where all the people were who had made this journey. And it was no small journey for them to get out there. It was their trial. And he sets this example for us to say, if you, if you, want, to be, if you want to be used by me, you're going to have to go and you're going to, have to get tested even more. The more God prepares you, the more God challenges you. And, and facing hardship, and this is what we really need to embrace, is not a curse. How often do we face that hardship and say, God, why? 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 Because you said you wanted to serve me. God, why is this happening? Why, why do I keep running into the same personalities? Why, why can't I manage this? Well, because you haven't learned or trained yet. You haven't learned how to do it and I'm going to t- keep taking you around the block until we figure out how to get it done. Because I need you to be useful in that scenario for the kingdom of God. It makes me want to learn my lessons pretty quick, but I don't. The more we want to be used, the more we go. We have to embrace that instead of cursing it. I, I have vowed, and it's served me well my whole life, I refuse to curse the things God uses to bless me. You mean it for evil in my life? You don't like me? You're taking me to task? I have to learn how to redo things again? I have to face hardship? I have to learn what it's like to be misrepresented? Thank you. I sincerely mean that. It's impossible to accept that blessing from God and then curse the very instrument that God uses. I need to bless them. And I need to thank God in the process. That's, that's, a, hard, I'm not saying, that's a hard place to... <laughs> in real time, that's hard to live out. But the truth is, that's a spiritual reality. When I start to curse the things God is using to bless me, I, I, I end my lesson right there. I just go on recess until I figure it out. And then I start it up again when I'm ready. He took him to the desert to be tempted by the devil. It's interesting... The form that God uses to test us is often public. I was thinking about this. So so when when, when I go into the when we go into the desert, when we go into that time of training, when I, train, when I train, I'm not training by myself. Right? There's a there's a there's a there's people watching, right? One of the benefits of going to the desert and, and into the wilderness, this is so awesome. When I when I grabbed a hold of this, it was so awesome. Did you know that the wilderness is the only place on earth where we can demonstrate that we're different than people who don't know Jesus. It's the only place where people pay attention to how we're actually living our lives. If things are going well for me and things are going well for my neighbor and we're having barbecues and I love the Lord with all my heart and he doesn't care about God at all, there's no difference in us. We're both having a good time and watching a football game. But when things get really hard, and he sees things hard for me, or she sees things hard for me, and I'm able to call on those resources, I'm able to lean on the Lord, that's where I show that I'm different. It's the only place that I can do it. And so we need to realize, even in that time of testing, that other people are watching, and we're demonstrating for them what's really in us. We don't normally do it in solitude, we do it in public. So even in the process, we have a responsibility to walk with him faithfully. One of the things we do, I was laughing at a part of that video. I won't tell you about it. But behind the scenes, the the training that we go into is really harsh. But it's public, too. And we get really bored. So, like, for example, if you're out in the field and you get hurt... And they've got to like stitch up your head or something in the field. Everybody goes around and watches because they're bored, right? So something that would be like really vulnerable. And I just want to be in the doctor's office by myself. Right? No, everybody like comments, you know. And they're you, trying not to cry because it hurts really bad. But everybody's watching. as a form of entertainment. You know, that, it, that happens. It's public. The things we do are public and people are watching. And he gets sent out to be tested by the devil. This is Varsity level stuff. I don't want to skip past the fact this isn't a coloring book. This is real. These are demonic forces that he's facing and he's doing it to be an example for us. Believe me, the rest of this is going to go faster than the first couple of verses. I won't have you here all night. Although you can just stand up and go, we're done, all right? Then I'll be done. Verse two, it says, and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, verse two, afterwards he was hungry. Fasting is one of those disciplines that, as spiritual warriors, um, is really important. I'm not going to tell you how to do it or why to do it, but it accomplishes a couple of things. If you've never fasted, and I'm not, and, and it's something that you kind of need to think through, I'm not saying a 40-day fast, right? We know Moses did it, Elijah did it. 40-day fast. I'm going to tell you for, I'm going to let you know that's we're going to see in a minute. That's not, good. but but if you've never told your flesh, you can't have it. You don't realize how strong your flesh is. In fact, you can almost pick anything, maybe even something you don't like that much, and say, you know, for the next two weeks, I'm not going to have anything sweet. I normally don't like sweets. Try it, see what happens. Your flesh will go, oh, really? (laughs) I don't think so. Right, and you go. Whoa! I didn't know you were there. Right? We feed. A lot of times, we 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 trick ourselves into thinking that it's not as powerful as it is. Try to deny it something, and see what happens. When we fast, is when we come in tune with the separation of our spirit and our physical tent, you know, and and its corruption, and you kind of get a better sense. And the other thing that fasting does is it heightens your spiritual senses. If you're feeling blocked. If you're feeling like you're not getting much out of your devotional life, if you feel like your prayer life is, man, try, try fasting if you've never done it. Just, just try it for two days and see what happens. Jesus goes out and sets an example, and he fasts. But it says that afterwards, he was hungry. That's one of those things I look at in the Bible, and I go, oh, really? <laughs> like, you fasted for 40 days? Yeah, I guess you're a little hungry. But physiologists tell us this. And we know this. I know this from training and guys I've talked to when they've been deprived of food. After just a few days, you stop being hungry. After you fast for a while, you're not hungry anymore. Hunger only returns when you're about ready to die. That's when your body's done eating itself. And all of a sudden, the hunger comes back and there's nothing left. And so Jesus fasts almost to the point of death. This is like varsity level stuff. Jesus is showing us that sometimes there are sacrifices. The deeper the battle, maybe more the challenges we face. So rejoice. The harder it seems, the more he's challenging you and pushing you into a place where your life is a life of significance. So why did he lead him into the wilderness? Hebrews chapter 2, I want to read this to you real quick because this is our comfort. It says, therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. You know, Jesus didn't have to go to be trained. He was God. It wasn't for him. It was for us. So all of this example as we read it is so we can read it and we can say, Lord, what do we need to do in our lives to be prepared? Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like us, that he may be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered been tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness but was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin remember it's the holy spirit that leads us into this training into this wilderness we have a principle in the military the guy that leads you in is the guy that leads you out <laughs> sometimes it's easy to get turned around And you're in there training and everything starts looking the same. And and if someone has a good idea and says, yeah, I think I know how to get out. I don't care what you think. Who's the guy who let us in? I know he has the map. I know he knows the surround. That's the guy who leads us out. I don't care what his rank is. He's the guy who is in the front. He's going to lead us out. Jesus is the one that leads us into this training, into this temptation, into these trials. He's the only one that should be leading us out. What does that mean? That means I should start pecking. I should stop pecking at the ears of my friends to see what they think. I should stop taking surveys to say, what do you think about that or this person or what we should do? It's just the Lord that led you into that thing. Ask him and he'll show you the way out. And more than likely, it has to do with his word. It has to do with a principle that we've learned, right? I'm having trouble with my neighbors. I'm having trouble with my friends. Everything seems a chaos, I'm going to to talk to all my friends about how to solve that. No. God's already told me how to solve that. He's already showed me how to do reconciliation. He's showed me how to do conflict resolution. He's already showed me the way in. He's going to show me the way out. Amen? The one that leads us in has to lead us out. Verse 3, it says this. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If you've ever been in the desert in the Judean wilderness, all these little rocks there look like little loaves of bread. And you can imagine that Jesus in his hunger, you know, it would be so easy. And I can imagine someone saying to me, well, you know, here's the way out. Just do it yourself. It's easy. Just reach down and touch it. Just take it for yourself. You can solve the problem yourself. You don't need God to solve it for you. You've suffered enough. And he said to him, if you are the son of God. It's interesting to remember prior to that, what did the Holy Father say to him? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And then he wants him to forget that. And he says, well, if you're really the son of God, if you really said that. So, So often we forget who we really are as children of God. We forget that the commitment that he made to us, that we made to him, is permanent. And it lasts, and and we start. You know, I've seen people who are so strong crumble with these very questions, and and they they don't want to wait on the timing. It's so hard to wait sometimes. It's so hard not to solve it ourselves, and to wait on God to be our answer. And that's really what this temptation is. Well, just reach down and fix it yourself. You could be done tonight. You could eat tonight. You can turn these stones and do it yourself. And he's saying it, and he says to him. You know, you're going to face this a lot. You're going to face this not only in your own heart, but the the enemy will come to you like he comes to me and says, if you're a child of God, then why is this happening to you? I thought you were blessed. I thought God was working in your life. When I left to go into the military, I'm going to tell you this really quick story. I was a chaplain with the Kalispell Police Department. It was always a dream of mine to work with law enforcement because I grew up around law enforcement. And when it's a ministry, I so desperately wanted to do it. And it was awesome. God opened these amazing doors here in Calspell. First chaplain they had ever had. And not only that, they, they gave me a the little uniform jacket. I had a badge. I got to do with all this. So it was really where I got my training. And my identity was, and I loved it. I was a pastor of a church, but I would run there all the time. I'd run away from the people and go spend time with my police officers. I loved that chaplaincy. It's where I got a heart. Um, for, for being in the missions really in that way, in a professional way. And when, and, and when I took the commission into the, in the military, it didn't go, it didn't go well right away. There was a lot of things that happened. It didn't happen right away. And, and basically I ended up, well, let me tell you, I ended up as a mall security guard in Hampton, Virginia. Okay? This is, this is where I ended up. I took a commission in the Navy, but the school, apparently they were saying it was delayed and they said, we don't really know if you're gonna be able to come in. I said, well, I already moved to Virginia. They said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. And so I had to get a job right away. And long story long, I got a job as a security guard. So I went from wearing this uniform, that was my dream, to wearing a security guard uh, uniform. And the beautiful thing about this indoor mall um, was that in the windows you could see your reflection. So I spent all day walking in the reflection of his mirrors, seeing my dumb fake cop um, outfit, and saying to the Lord, oh my God, did you bring me out here to, so the congregation didn't have to see you judge me? Am I done? Is this really what's happening? People would call me, dude, where are you? I'm all, you don't want to know, man. You do not want to know. God is judging me. Lose my phone number. That's really what I was thinking. God had to take me to that place to say, hey, can you do this? And praise me. Can you get up every day and be the very best security guard you can be? Because you have this ego that I I can't use you. So I had to go to that place and put on my security guard and my flashlight. And people would rob stores and they'd run away. And people would say, um, "Are you going to stop them?" I'm like, "No, I have to close this place by myself." <laughs> that guy probably has a gun, but I wrote down, "This is what he looked like." Right? So it was brutal. And maybe, maybe you have that kind of stuff in your life where you're like, Lord, you're going to face it. And it's going to be like, your family's going to be like, what are you doing, man? You're in what program? You're doing what? It's not even accredited. Like, what are you doing? And, what, you're flipping burgers now? I thought you were going to, like, <laughs> change the world, right? So what, what are you doing? It's, they come in. It's, it's like, no, I trust God. God's training me up. It's his timing. And I'm going to be faithful. And It's only then that we really see the blessings of God. And he answered and said to him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The things that you're learning, I will say, if you want to put something on your pack list for spiritual battle, put in the promises of God. Get them, memorize them, write them down. I wake up every morning, you know my first thought? This will tell you my mind. God's mercies are new every morning. <laughs> That's the first thought. The second one is coffee. But the first one, the first one is, God's mercies are new this morning. I remind myself it's a promise that I stand on. And I need it. The reason is, maybe you didn't read into this, <laughs> I screwed up yesterday. <laughs> so I always wake up knowing that, right? I, I'm, I always know that, but I wake up and, with that promise. So many promises of God that change us. It's on our pack list. I've gone too long, haven't I? How long do we have? Give me a time. Okay. So he says in verse 5, in verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, You shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands you shall bear, they, he shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a stone. And Jesus said to him again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's important not to tempt God. In the midst of all these things I've talked about, I want to encourage you in this. We can't live our lives recklessly and believe that God's just going to bail us out and make it all right. Training is work. We have to have a plan. We have to seek him with that plan. And we have to ply ourselves. We have to be good stewards of the things God's given. I'm going to tell you about the generation of warriors that I'm working with right now. And I was sharing with Michael, it's changed radically even the last five years. They're, they're, when we get them, these young warriors, there's such a sense of entitlement. I say that with all respect, but it's paralyzing sometimes. It's not that they're, they're, they're not incredible people with great work ethic, but they have to overcome this sense of entitlement that everything is deserved and is going to work out. It's a hindrance to us. You know, there's work involved. And what he's saying is just throw your, be reckless. God, he said, I'm not going to tempt the Lord God. I'm going to be a good steward of the things God's given me. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to apply myself. I'm going to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of me, and I'm going to be thankful for those opportunities. I'm not just going to assume that I deserve it. And it's also And the other thing that, that, that I've learned to do is to take time and recognize the cost to the other people who are investing in me. For so long, I never did that. I never looked and said, what is it costing you to be my friend or to help me out or to... Pray for me or to whatever it is. And I try to be a person who counts those costs now. But he said, don't live recklessly and and be a good steward. And here it is. And we're going to close here in verse eight. And it says, and again, the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these things I give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. This is about priorities. This is about who we serve. This is about what's important to us. Those things can only be worked out in the privacy of our heart. Somebody told me something one time when I was early in ministry that changed my life, and I want you to listen to this. He said the most important thing that's going to happen, the most important events and decisions in your life are going to be things that only you and God know about. They happen in the privacy of that relationship. There's going to be things, if you really want to be used in spectacular ways, he told me that I applied to myself, that I found to be true, that begin with only the two of you knowing. Maybe there's fear involved. Maybe there's apprehension involved or doubt. But you're going to work that out between You and Him. Those are the the most amazing things. Those are the things that last. And the word that describes that process is authentic. I have to have that type of relationship. I have to have that type of dynamic in my life in order for it to be real. Otherwise, I'm just bouncing it off of everybody and seeing what they think. But the depth and the quality of my life happens in, in in that sanctum that only he and I know about. And from there, it spreads out. And when it starts there, no one will be able to tell you anything to shut it down because you heard it directly from him. That's where the power is. There's where the authenticity is. That's where the priorities are. And it says in verse 11, And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. In God's timing, the training starts, and we see the glory of God. But I want to end with this, because it's so important to to remember that Jesus, through his whole earthly ministry, from the day he went to that desert till the day he went to the cross, never stopped being criticized, misrepresented, persecuted, mocked, misunderstood. And even after he defeated death itself, it continued. If that's what happened to him, why would I expect anything different from me? I just need to settle in and realize this is a warrior's walk. This is what happens. It's validation that I'm actually in the battle. The Bible says what? Beware when all men speak well of you. The, the goal for us in our life is to find peace in our sanctuary with each other and then go be spilled out and then whatever happens, <laughs> happens. But that training ground, this is here. And I felt encouraged to share this message with you because I know it's easy to forget. And these guys remind me of these lessons all the time. This is why God has you here in this place. This is your wilderness and your sanctuary. It's a great combination, isn't it? But it's never going to be like this all the time. In fact, I think if you leave this place, you'll realize... for the students who come, and then you go, it'll never be like this again. <laughs> There'll never be a time like this in your life, nor should there be, because you're going to grow and experience other things. Love this, enjoy this, but learn from this as well. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word this evening. If you would like more information about Sela Fellowship, please visit us on the web at org. While you are there, feel free to check out some of our other messages and past book studies. Thank you again, and God bless.